I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to Daniel chapter 2. And as we look at the text today, we're going to see that Daniel kind of has another crisis, as we're going to see over and over and again for Daniel and his friends going through this book. And we're going to see how they stand up in the midst of a really uncertain situation. Because a lot of times in our Christian life, that happens to us. We have those moments that are just uncertain. Things pop up and surprise us that we don't see coming. And how we respond to those different circumstances really does make a huge difference in how we live our life out for Christ. Uh, I remember um, before we moved here to Colorado, uh, we were getting things ready and getting things prepared, and we had a car that was about 20 years old, had 195,000 miles on it, and we had taken it to a mechanic, and they said, yeah, your car's good to go. This thing will run forever. You guys are great. And we thought, okay, good. That's one thing that we can check off our list as we're making sure we're ready to come. About a month or so goes by, and we're literally a week away from making the long drive up. And so we go and have the car checked out one more time just to be sure everything's fine, get an oil change, put on some new tires, get some things with our brake lights fixed. And our mechanic looks at the car and says, oh, I'm not going to take your money. And we go, what are you talking about? He said, because there's absolutely no way this car is going to make it to Colorado. No matter what I do to it, no matter how much money you put into it, you could spend $4,000 today and you're not going to make it. So I'm not even going to touch it. You need to go find something new. And in that moment, we were sitting there looking at our savings. We were looking at what we had available to us. And we kind of sat back and thought, there's no way that we're going to be able to make this work. Uh, We had been looking at new vehicles about six months prior and a, a minivan with 95,000 miles on it, that was about 15 years old, was going for $35,000, $40,000. And we sat back and thought, there's just no way that this is all going to work out. And so when moments like that hit in your life, you know, what is your go-to next step? What it should be is what we see Daniel and his friends do in, in Daniel chapter 2. But you know what? That's not normally what we do. You know, my kind of mode of operation is to like lay out the spreadsheet, to lay out the, all the finance and say, okay, what can we sell? How can we work? And how can we solve this problem that's in front of us? And that way, when we get to the other side of it, we can look at it and say, oh, look what I accomplished and look what I did and look what I was already prepared for. And we get to feel good about ourselves. But no matter how large or small the crisis is that lays before us, our very first step should be to go before the Lord, to seek his counsel, to seek his peace, to seek his provision, to seek and beg and plead that he would provide in a way that only he can. And we see that that's exactly what Daniel does in the situation he finds himself in, in Daniel chapter 2. We remember at this point, Jerusalem has been laid low, the nation of Israel has been captured by Babylon, The nobles have been carted off, and Daniel and his friends have been serving for King Nebuchadnezzar as they have learned and they have grown in his court. And now here they stand, ready to take their place among the other wise men of Babylon. And then suddenly, God does something very unexpected. And we see that as we look into Daniel chapter 2, starting in verse 1. The text here says, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. 
His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians and the enchanters and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams, so that they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. So here King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and he's been having these dreams. They're unsettling to him. One thing you have to understand a kind of about Babylonian culture during this time period is that it was believed by them that if you had a dream and couldn't remember it, or if you had dreams and couldn't understand it, it meant that your God was mad at you, that he was angry at you. And so the fact that King Nebuchadnezzar is having these dreams constantly, and he doesn't understand what they are, and he doesn't understand what their interpretation is, that's worrisome to him. He's concerned, and he's worried, he's scared. At the same time, he doesn't trust his royal advisors. He doesn't trust all the magicians and the Chaldeans and the sorcerers and the enchanters and all the people, the wise men that he has gathered around himself. He doesn't trust them. He believes that they're feeding him what he wants to hear. He believes that they're just making things up on the spot. And so he decides that he is going to test these wise men. Because these wise men would have bragged and they would have, they, would have, they would have told him, I'm so close to God and I'm so close to the ones who know all things that, that we can tell you anything that you need to know. So Nebuchadnezzar decides to test them and he says, listen, not only do I want to hear the interpretation, but I want you to tell me the dream that I had as well. Because if you claim to be so close to God and you claim to be so in the know, prove it. And so that's the challenge laid before them. Not only do they have to give him the interpretation of the dream that he has, but they have to tell him what the dream is in the first place. And what we're going to see is we're going to see that, that all of the sorcerers and all of the magicians and all of the Chaldeans, all these people who were in service to King Nebuchadnezzar, they respond one way. And then we see Daniel and his friends respond in a very different way to this challenge that is laid before them. First off, we see that all the people in, the, in Nebuchadnezzar's court, they begin to respond by offering up all kinds of excuses, buying for time. We see that as we continue in the passage. It says in the text, in verse 7, they answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show you its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing and any, of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. 
the thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with the flesh. So we see that the enchanters and the people who are serving King Nebuchadnezzar at this time, they offer up all kinds of excuses. They say, listen, there's no man alive that can do what you ask. There's no king that's ever asked anything like this before. The only person or the only being that could make known your dream, who could answer the request in the way you requested it, is the gods whose dwelling is not in the flesh. Simply put, they're saying this is absolutely beyond us. It's impossible, and it's not fair that you even ask such a thing. You know, a lot of times when we find ourselves in a very difficult situation, we look to God and we say, it's not fair that you've put me in the situation that I'm in. We begin to offer up all kinds of excuses. We begin to offer up all kinds of reasons why we can't do what God has called us to do or we, what we can't do what God has asked of us. Maybe we begin to think of our background and our history, our education, or our finances, or our status in the community, or just our own talents and our own abilities. And we look forward and we say, the thing that is laid out before me is too big. It's too great. It's too massive. It's just huge. There's nothing we can do. The disciples did the same thing to Jesus when Jesus asked them to feed the people that were sitting in front of him in the crowd. He looked upon this crowd of 5,000 plus people, they gathered up their food. They said, look, these people are hungry. They need something to eat. What are they going to do? And Jesus looked at them and said, feed them. And they look around and they go, what are we going to do? And they gather up all the food they have. They got a few loaves of bread. They have a few fish. They bring them to Jesus. And they're like, this is all we've got. The excuse they had for themselves was, look, I can't do it. There's no way this is going to work. And that's the same position that we see these magicians in. And that angers the king. He becomes furious with them. He answers them angrily in verse 12. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So here's the problem we have in our narrative. Because who is a part of the wise men of Babylon? Daniel and his friends. They're in that class. And so now the king is going to go about and begin to order a public execution of all the wise men and all of the counselors because they can't do this thing that the king has demanded of them. Verse 13, so a decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. And Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? And Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. So now this confrontation has been given to Daniel. This confrontation has been given to Daniel and his friends. And watch how he responds and look at the steps that he takes in answering what seems to be an impossible task, in accomplishing what seems to be something beyond his ability, beyond his wisdom, beyond his power. What does he do in this moment where he literally faces death? It says in verse 17, Then Daniel went to his house, and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven 
concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So the magicians and the enchanters, the Chaldeans, they looked at the king and said, it's absolutely impossible, and they begin to throw their excuses before him. Daniel goes to his friends and he says, we need to seek the Lord. We need to humble ourselves before God because, you know, we do understand and admit that this thing is beyond us. There's no way we can accomplish what King Nebuchadnezzar has asked us to accomplish. There's no way we can perform the way King Nebuchadnezzar has asked us to perform. So what do we do? We fall on our knees before God Almighty and we plead mercy. We say, Lord, we need your help. That's the first step we need to take when we find ourselves in crisis. You know, I remember when we were sitting there in the situation with our car, trying to figure out what it was we were going to do and how we were going to get by and what the next plans we were going to have. We were literally three days away from packing up a truck and moving to Colorado, and we didn't have a car that was going to get us there. And I remember that we kind of made our plans and we did things we were supposed to do and we tried to settle and we were going to go out and try to find a car. And I remember gathering with Megan and the kids and they said, you know what, we're going to pray. Because as we're sitting here right now, looking at the finances we have, the savings that we have, the situation that we're in, we don't see how it's possible that we're going to get through this trial and this tribulation in our life. We don't see how we're going to make it to that next step. So we prayed and we went before the Lord. We asked for his provision, we asked for wisdom, we asked for guidance, we asked that things would just align in the perfect way that we could get what we need. And that's the step that we need to take. And not just in the big, huge, monumental things of life, but in every challenge that comes before us, in every difficulty that comes before us. Daniel and his friends were facing life and death. That is a huge, monumental challenge. Us and our car was kind of a medium-sized problem we were dealing with, but even in the trivial things of life, in those moments when the decision may not be huge and maybe the outcome isn't life-altering, but still we should go before the Lord. And when we face conflict and we face trial and we face uncertainty, our first motivation should be to go before God. But as human beings, that's just not what we like to do. And and honest, if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of times prayer seems kind of like a waste of time. You know, there are moments when I go to pray over a situation and I just can't help myself. I get that itch that like, man, I should be doing something right now. You're sitting before the Lord. You're trying to unload your, your request before him. You're trying to praise him. You're trying to sit there in that still quiet moment seek his guidance, and seek his face, and you just can't help. I should be doing something about the problem. You know, I should be going and asking people what I should do, or I should be looking at my resources, or I should be trying to spin my wheels and make something happen, and this just seems like such a waste of time. But the truth of the matter is that there's no more valuable time that we take as Christians than when we are bowed before God. And I think the reason for that is that we forget what the purpose of prayer is. See, a lot of times we think that going before the Lord for prayer is so that we can get our requests answered. Like, 
God is the kind of vending machine in the sky, and that as we go before him, we insert our quarters and we push A5 and we get the blessing that we're looking for, the wisdom that we're looking for, and we're looking for God to change the landscape in some huge way. That's not why we pray. God is sovereign over all things. He has ordained all things to be for his will and his purpose. As we go before the Lord, what we are acknowledging and what we are admitting to ourselves is that we are completely dependent upon him. Daniel understood that in the moment as he was facing King Nebuchadnezzar. He understood that if he was going to make it through this situation, that he had to be completely dependent upon God. And as we go to prayer, we do so with that same mindset. Lord, there are situations in this world that are beyond my control. There are circumstances in this life that I cannot wrangle. There are events that take place that I can't see coming. But Lord, you have ordained all things to be. And so what I seek from you is mercy, wisdom, strength, and faith. Give me those things I need to endure this life that you have placed me in for your glory and for your honor. And that's how we approach the Lord in every circumstance. That's how we come before the Lord in every trial. We should seek him first. And when we do that, the amazing thing is the Lord provides, and he provides for Daniel and his friends. They come before him. They go to the Lord. They pray, and in verse 19 it says, Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. So do you see what Daniel does after he goes to the Lord and after God has provided him their need? He praises God for the blessing. So Daniel went to him in prayer, seeking wisdom and guidance. When the dream was revealed to him, and this matter of the king was revealed to him, we see that the first thing he does is he offers praise and thanksgiving to God. You know, in the situation with our, our car, we went to the dealership that day, and all of a sudden we sat down with someone, and lo and behold, we, the hard part for us was finding a car that could seat six people that was affordable for us, that would get us cross-country. So we had that like dream scenario of you know, a, a lower car payment, able to house or seat six people, low mileage, something somewhat new that was reliable, especially if we're going to be driving all the way across country. And I don't know if you know this or not, that those are really hard boxes to tick all at the same time. And lo and behold, we sat there, and I'm sitting there talking to the guy at the dealership, and he says, well, here's what we have. And the Lord answered our prayers in a Mitsubishi Outlander. 2019, 40,000 miles on it, only had one previous owner, and it was right within the price range that we were able to afford for our monthly payment moving on. And I remember coming home with the car that afternoon. We weren't expecting to actually find anything that day. We were just kind of hoping 
and, and praying before God. And we came home, and I remember looking at my wife and saying, how blessed are we that here we had a need, and then that God provided for it and answered that need in our lives within such a short period of time. And we sat together as a family, and we prayed, and we thanked God and praised him for the way he took care of us. And you know what? The next couple days, we packed up our car, we packed up our U-Haul, and we drove through with absolutely no problems or concerns. And had God not done that for us, we probably would have broken down somewhere on the way. In fact, our mechanic told us, if you don't get something new at this point, you're either going to be buying a new car in Texas or a plane ticket. Take your pick. But God showed up, and God provided for us. And as he did so, we praised him and we thanked him. That's exactly what we see Daniel doing here. This song that he sings to the Lord, praising his name, acknowledging, for him who, acknowledging him for who he is, well, it's an outpouring of his heart of gratitude and thanks, and we don't do that enough. So often we pray for things, and then we see God answer in the most miraculous way, or maybe he answers in the mundane, ordinary ways of life, and then we sit there and go, oh, that's neat, and we move right along. We need to take time to acknowledge and say thanks to the Lord. There's a period in Jesus' ministry where he healed a group of lepers. And as he was, told them to go wash in the Jordan, they healed. And all of a sudden, nine of them went on their way, but one of them came back to thank him. And Jesus looked at him and said, weren't all the others healed? Where are they giving thanks? And we need to understand that the problem of that the problem with that story is not the fact that these men were not grateful for what happened. They were healed of leprosy. Of course they were grateful. They were probably jumping and singing and excited. The problem is, is that only one of them came back to offer thanks. So often we are excited about the Lord's provision, and so long we are grateful for the Lord's provision. But there are very few times we come back to him and say, thank you for what you have done for me. There's so many times where, where we come back, so few times we come back and say, thank you, Lord, for the way that you have provided for me and blessed my life this way. We need to be a people who give thanks to God. And not only that, not only do we need to go before the Lord, not only do we need to offer him thanks and praise, but then you know what? We need to give him credit for the blessings in our lives. And that's exactly what Daniel does. It continues on in this passage, and it says, Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said to him, I have found among the exiles of Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? And look how Daniel answers. Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men. Enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in later days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And who reveals mysteries and made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. So what does Daniel do as he stands before the king? He's been given this vision. He's been given this wisdom. He's been given this insight. 
he stands before the king and he says, it's not because of any special wisdom I have. It's not because of anything that I am. And there's no magician, there's no Chaldean, there's no astronomer, there's none of these people who can make known to you the interpretation or these dreams that you've been having, but there is a God in heaven. See, Daniel doesn't take the credit for himself. Daniel doesn't credit his own wisdom. He doesn't credit his own ability. He doesn't even credit his humility in going before the Lord. He simply says, listen, it's not me that's made known to you these things, but it is the God that I serve. You know, as we are blessed in our lives, and as we are given gifts in our lives, and as we see good things happen in our lives, we need to be very quick to tell other people of the God that we serve. Because, you know, as we sit there and we receive blessing, it's very tempting for us to come back and say, well, yeah, it's because I was prepared. Or, well, it's because I was in the right place at the right time. Or, you know, it's because I know the right people. Or because of my intelligence. Or because of my work ethic. Or we can pile it on ourselves and make ourselves look really good. But how wonderful is it if when good things happen to us, our first thought is to acknowledge the God who gave it to us. To sit there in that moment and say, you know what, I'm just blessed by the Lord and I try to serve him and I try to follow after him. And man, as I do that, I see that he just blesses my life. Isn't our God good? See, as we serve and as we live in this life, as we experience the Lord's blessing, as he answers the prayers of our hearts, we need to be first and foremost concerned that he gets all the credit and he gets all the glory and he gets all the honor and he gets all the praise because this life is not about us. It's about him. He is king over all. He is ruler over all. All glory and power and authority is his. And so the aim of our life is to know him and to make him known. Whatever we're doing and however we're serving, that should be our goal, and that should be the primary goal of our heart. You know, I talk with people who lead worship sometimes, and, and as we're training new people to do worship and as we're training people to serve in those different roles, one of the things I always try to tell people is, you know, if you walk off the platform and people think, oh, wow, they sang so well and they did such a great job, well, then you've kind of blown it. If I'm up preaching and teaching and doing things and people walk away and say, wow, he did such a good job, then I've blown it. Because it shouldn't be about the people on the platform. Instead, what it should be, and the hope that we have as people walk out of this place is, wow, how magnificent is our God. How wonderful is our God. How worthy is he of being praised and worshipped and adored. And that should be the whole heartbeat of our lives. Whether we are serving in the community, whether we are serving in our families, whether we are serving in our jobs, our job and our primary concern should be, how can we glorify God in this place? How can we give him the credit for the good things in our lives? Because as we do so, we will see the hearts and lives of people around us changed and transformed. They will see that we live differently. They will see that we have a different kind of joy, that we have a different confidence as we live this life, all because we go to him first with every need. We go to him first in every trial and in every circumstance because we praise him and adore him and worship him as he leads us through this life. And then 
publicly and continually, we give him credit for the good things in our lives. We see that that is what Daniel did. And it had huge ramifications for the kingdom of Babylon. What ramifications could we see take place in our very own lives if we just lived the same way he did? Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for the great joy that we have in serving you. And Lord, we thank you that no matter where we find ourselves, no matter what trial that we are in, no matter what place we find ourselves in this life, whether big or small, we thank you that we can come before you with the needs of our heart. We thank you, Lord, that we can worship you and praise you. And Lord, I pray that you would instill in our hearts a desire to make you known to the point where we try to take no credit for our own selves, no credit in our ability, no credit in our intelligence, no credit in our wealth, no credit in our security, except for the fact that we have been saved and redeemed. The fact that every good and perfect gift we know comes from you. Let us give you the credit, honor, and glory that you deserve in this life. We thank you, we love you, and we praise you all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.